Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center here in downtown Santa Monica, the heart of Silicon Beach, now at the end of the Texpo um, rail line. And um, please be seated. We have a great show for you today. A um, couple of announcements to start off. Our uh, background on the show is available as usual on our blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress. Check it out. Um, we have information on our guest who is Ari Ezra Waldman. He is the Tyler, um, the founder and director of the Tyler Clementi Institute for Cyber Safety at New York Law School. And um, before we start, I'd like to give a, a shout out to Hillary Clinton on her historic achievement of becoming the first woman to secure the nomination of a major party. Um, definitely a, a landmark that um, many will remember. Uh, I still remember. Uh, when Geraldine Ferrara was nominated um, to be vice president in 1984. And um, I, I didn't fully appreciate how big a deal it was until the next day after her speech going into the office. And uh, I was working for a woman and, and just how moved she was that a woman had been nominated. And uh, so it's a, it's a great step forward for women, uh, regardless of what you think of Secretary Clinton. Um, secondly, I want to have a flashback to 48 years ago today. Um, I was running home from Little League to watch the funeral of Bobby Kennedy. And um, there we saw a, a shaken Ted Kennedy deliver a steering tribute to his brother that ended with, as he said many times in many parts of this nation, to those he touched and who sought to touch him. Some men see things as they are and say why. I dream things that never were and say why not. And I mention that because our, our guest today is doing a little bit of both. We are dealing with some awful things on the internet. Um, hate, harassment, bigotry. But also he is trying to move things forward to help people. And he's also become an advocate for ways to possibly reform things um, and say, why not? So 
Um, without further ado, I want to welcome Ari to our show. Ari, are you there? Yes. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to speak with you today. Thank you. Um, so, Ari is the um, founder and director of the Tyler Clementi Institute. And for those of you who aren't familiar, um, Tyler Clementi was the Rutgers University student who tragically, um, a very talented musician, um, who um, took his life by jumping off George Washington Bridge after his um, roommate had um, used a web, um, I, I guess, a remote camera that was hooked to the web to um, display intimate moments of his and um, led to the tragic result. And his family has, so why don't you tell us about how the, the family came to you and, and started the Institute? Sure. So the family, Jane and Joe Clementi, um, the parents, uh, after, after a period, I guess their period of mourning never stops, but in their period of mourning, decided to or was, were able to find some strength. If that's if that it's incredible how that's possible, and decide that they would like to stop this from happening, stop what happened to Tyler from happening to anyone else, or and to provide support for young uh, young gay lesbian young gay and lesbian individuals who may be just coming out. Uh, growing in school or questioning their sexuality. And they started several years ago on their own. They started the Tyler Clementi Foundation, which is a family foundation, a nonprofit organization dedicated to eradicating bullying and cyberbullying. And I was asked uh, shortly thereafter, so I wasn't one of the founders, but I was asked shortly thereafter a couple of years later to join the board because I had published several law review articles on cyber harassment of gay youth and um, the uh, what we need to do, some of the things that we need to do in order to start combating this epidemic of cyber harassment. When I reached New York Law School a couple of years later as a professor here, I wanted to take that a step further. So uh, in collaboration with the foundation, in collaboration with the family, but cre I created this program here at New York Law School that, among other things, includes the first ever law school clinic that will provide vic provide victims of cyber harassment with uh, lawyers and counsel for free. So our goal is not just to stand on the shoulders of the Clementis who found strength in this tragedy. Uh, our goal, it, it, but our goal is to help them stop cyber harassment before it starts, as well as helping victims after it happens. And it's it's interesting that they they came to you. I mean, because obviously, you know, I, it's hard to imagine what their grief was anyway. I mean, no one can imagine that. But that they they thought a legal remedy would be appropriate, um, or the well, I'm, I I think that there is more to it than that. I mean, the family they're not lawyers, <laughs> so it's not that they came to me thinking that the legal remedy is appropriate. I think it's more that. They want a variety of people working at this goal, coming from different perspectives. The board has people who come from a psychology perspective, people who come from an education perspective, people who come from an advocacy perspective, and I'm the lawyer on the board. So I, I think it's less, it's less about a particular desire for one legal response. It's more of an acknowledgement that it takes a village 
to use, uh, <laughs> uh, use a phrase from Secretary Clinton. It takes a village to solve these kind of problems. You can't yes. just do it. There's no one tool. You need many tools. And, you know, given that this is the first program, what, what response have you received from other schools about maybe, you know, duplicating what you're doing? Well, for now, we're still getting our thing. We're still getting our programs started here and getting all our ducks in a row. In a row, we launched the program last October at a conference, very well attended. We had re- our keynote speakers were uh, were Congresswoman uh, Congresswoman Kathleen Rice from here in New York and Mark Congressman Mark Pocan from Wisconsin, both of whom have shown leadership in cyber harassment space. Uh, and I've been giving talks about this work all throughout the year, and we've been building the program, hope, trying to raise money. Uh, I, for example, was at, I was invited to speak at South by Southwest's Cyber Harassment Summit, day-long Cyber Harassment Summit, and met and have since worked with Congresswoman Catherine Clark of Massachusetts, who recently proposed a bill in the House uh, to provide law enforcement with the training that they need to combat cyber harassment. So we're in that stage now, the building stage, and we're going to represent our first victims starting, victims of cyber harassment starting in August when the next school year starts. And it's at that point, hopefully, you know, as this program grows, we hope to, it'd be great if there were many more programs, many more schools that, that had something like this. But first, let's see how the first one does. Yeah, <laughs> and then we'll, the uh, and, and then we'll expand the program. How many students will you have? Well, uh, we hope to have, we had uh, every clinic at New York Law School has to follow, and other law schools, have to follow ABA rules um, about student supervision. So we had about 27 applicants for our clinic, and we're allowed a maximum of eight students per faculty member who will teach the clinic. So um, right now we're starting small with eight students, and hopefully, depending upon what kind of matters come to our desk, We'll, we'll hopefully be able to represent as many victims as we can because sometimes, sometimes matters are small. They're a matter of just getting images down or counseling someone through a session. Other times matters can be big. They could be long pieces of litigation. So it really, we, we don't know, since it's the first time, we really don't know how it's going to pan out. We do know that we are not going to be, we're not going to want for clients. I get emails from people, the foundation gets emails from people on a, almost on a bi-weekly basis <laughs> of problems. So we're going we're gonna to help as many people as we can. It's, it's interesting, your optimism and your hope that others will, will emulate you, which I, I think will happen. Uh, I'm reminded here in Santa Monica, there's uh, one of the, the headquarters for the National Resource Defense Council. It's the Robert, um, Robert Redford Building. And at the time it was built some years ago, it was the most sustainable building uh, in the United States. Oh. And, and so I, I did a tour of it in the, in the mid, you know, about 10 years ago. And they, they were thrilled that, you know, now we're only number eight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they, 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 they wanted to, you know, they wanted to blaze the trail, but they also wanted other, others to join them. And well, uh, so I think that's... Of yeah. course, we have to be that way, right? I mean, if I, if I, if, if uh, we only have eight students who are participating in our clinic on a yearly basis, how many victims can we really help? And True. 
course, the problem is far beyond, not only is the far, problem far beyond just representing victims of cyber harassment, but the problem is far beyond the, the few clients that we actually can take in a year. So while I'm really excited to start something new, and as you say, it's great that our students in New York Law School is going to be blazing the trail, but I hope it serves as a model for others that, that, that will be able to look at this and say, you know, we can do this too, and we can serve the public and help those people who are victimized by the darkest corners of the Internet. And in, in terms of, have you selected the students yet for the, the upcoming year? Uh, we have, yeah. And and what what is it? What have they said about what what attracts them to this? Well, each student in it, in his or her application had to include a personal statement. It is an explanation of uh, why they wanted to be a part of it. And some of them came to law school knowing about cyber harassment, whether they were harassed themselves or knew someone who was, whether it was. It's almost always a woman, a, a, a woman or a member of the LGBT community. Um, many of them became interested in it because they took my privacy law, my information privacy law class, where we spent several days talking about information sharing among youth, and you do a case study of one form of cyber harassment each year. This year, we did a case study of non-consensual pornography cases, which are more commonly known as revenge porn, um, and we return to these kind of what are the problems or the dangers of information sharing many times. So students, some students became interested there. Other students saw this, as, see this as the, uh, at the, being at the vanguard of litigation and representation. And in many ways it is because the tools that, that lawyers need to represent victims in this space are varied. They yes. range from... I'm sorry. Yes, no, exactly. You know, that was an amen. <laughs> yeah, they range from they they range from uh, under uh, counsel, uh, uh, client counseling, uh, understanding what a client needs, recognizing that these victims are going through a really tough time, all the way through you know how do you represent students before an administrative board at a school, negotiating with educators, negotiating with websites, all the way to filing claims that involve document discovery, perhaps unmasking lawsuit, unmasking orders for de-anonymizing harassers, uh, filing Title IX complaints. So there's a whole range of litigation tools from client counseling all the way up to trial that this kind of clinic is going to teach them. So any smart student that wants to be in the technology and privacy space that cares about social justice and the people left behind by technology and want to become good litigators are going to sign up for a clinic like this. Definitely. It, 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 but you make a great point when I, when I, yelled, when I exclaimed yes. It, because, <laughs> because of you, you actually have – what they learn in civil procedure, they will fully use in this case you know, because you're, you're, you're trying to unpeel an on, onion. And, right. and, and you know, step by step, figure out who might be behind the, um, some of these acts, and you know, that takes a lot of work. Um, right, and it also shows. It will also show them that you know, although we do learn, especially in our common law classes, all about litigation and the impact of litigation. Sometimes uh, lawsuits are not the way to go. Sometimes we can negotiate. We can work with educators. We can work with websites, and 
Sometimes it's more about finding what the client really wants. Sometimes clients who are victims of non-consensual pornography, all they really want is just get the image down. Right. They may not want their they may not want the perpetrator to suffer. They may may not want to go after them with a lawsuit because as we've seen in the Zoe Quinn case, bringing a lawsuit may bring on more harassment right. to the to the plaintiff and to the victim. So it's it, it's it teach it will teach students to get to the bottom of how to effectively represent a client because there's a range of issues, range of steps to take well before you file a Title IX complaint or you file a tort claim, which may be relevant, but it's all, it's all filing lawsuits is just one part of being an attorney, as we all well know. Right. And how do you prepare the students for day one? Is there an orientation? And if so, what, what is it that really have to familiarize themselves with other than you know, having taken civil, civil procedure or maybe some other courses? So every one of our clinics includes an introductory. Uh, the New York, New York Law School has a significant and rich um, orientation program. We have a large number of clinics. Uh, students are prepared to join clinics, and they know what to expect. For this particular clinic, since it's new, uh, admittedly, we're not exactly sure what might, what are the most important prerequisites, what students can learn on the job or learn in our seminar. As a, as a side note, our clinics and most clinics at any law school will have a, will have a field work component as well as an in-class seminar where you learn the tools that you need for the clinic. So we, so among, for the ones that we, I accepted into the clinic, uh, most of those students have had, in addition, of course, to uh, their first year common law courses and not only excelled in those courses, most students have taken privacy law or internet law which I teach here at New York Law School, and both discusses theory and practice. I mean, we do the basic, we do the law, but we also apply it to real situations. Not all of them are cyber harassment. Some of them are data breach cases, et cetera. But those kind of classes will also give them the tools. You're required to also have taken evidence. But, in, but to take a step back, um, as I said, many of these, many of these uh, matters that come before the clinic, they might not all be litigation. So there will be other skills that students will learn through the seminar, the in-class seminar component. And that's very true. And um, we're going to talk more about this after these messages. Um, you're listening to Cranberry Radio. This is Bennett Kelly on Cyberlaw Business Report. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising? Or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? Studies show that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average. The web marketing experts at WMETraining.com can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean, converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the web marketing experts at wmetraining.com. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contest and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. 
Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly. And welcome back. We're talking to Ari Walden and... What we're talking about here in terms of the fields of cyber harassment, often when I tell people some of the stories of what my clients have endured or, you know, some of the people or groups that are out there on the Internet, um, they're they're quite surprised. And so sometimes I preface my say um, by saying, remember this moment, you know, up until this point in time, you weren't aware any of this was out there. And if you're lucky, you you never will. And uh, I don't know if you ever had that uh, react. Your your people are shocked when they find out what really goes on on the internet. Ari, what what is you, what is the impression you get from your colleagues or others as you tell what what type of work is the clinic will be doing and you've been doing? I absolutely have had those experiences. I'll tell you a specific story um, as just emblematic of a series of stories. Yesterday, I gave a talk at a uh, worldwide, a, a multinational investment bank. Um, they have offices here in New York, and I gave a talk to their uh, several of their affinity groups that gather for kind of like a lunch and learn program. And I do this relatively often, where I talk to groups that aren't necessarily social justice warriors, for example, or even tech people uh, or privacy people. And I talk about cyber harassment and the phenomenon. And um, the, the most people, when they do ask questions, they will often preface by saying, thank you for this talk. I never knew this was a problem. And yesterday, of the 10 or 15 questions, it was a highly interactive session, of the 10 or 15 questions, everyone except two said that they had never heard, they didn't know that things were this bad, they had never heard of this. All of the people, the two people that had, that had heard about it were women who have, were either victims themselves or knew other women who were victims. Other people in the room knew about cyberbullying because it, it, had been, it has been in the news over the last five years, but didn't know things like 40% of people online report being attacked for who they are or being attacked online in a, da- in a, in a way that made them feel in danger, uh, or that um, 90% of uh, victims of sexual pornography are women, or that LGBT individual, LGBTQ individuals are two-thirds more likely, 66% more likely, to be victims of severe cyber harassment than the general population. These things exist until, and even when they read articles about it, they feel that it's very distant and won't affect them. And you, I posted in the show notes that came up, there was a, a that said, every 10 seconds, someone on Twitter calls a woman a slut or a whore. Mm. 
And and then we had uh, in recent you were invited to South by Southwest was the whole summit they had on cyber harassment, which came about from the the GamerGate you know fiasco, where you know, several several women were, were were driven into hiding. Um, Anita Arkeesian had to cancel an event at Utah State University because they couldn't protect her safety, in which a, a Montreal-style attack was threatened, um, mm-hmm. referring to the um, the gender side at Montreal Polytechnic in the seventies. Um, it, it's you know it's quite remarkable. Yeah, just to give you one example, um, when I when I was I was a expert on a sci-fi show called, on a show that was aired on sci-fi called The Internet Ruined My Life. And I made some comments about Gamergate and in just one night received um, homophobic, anti-Semitic comments on Twitter and elsewhere that eventually subsided. But that was one night. That is something that many women go through every day. Uh, And in other instances, oh, just recently, you may have heard about the the tools, the secret, supposedly secret tools that neo Nazis use to track Jews online. Um, and as a result of a post that I put on Twitter, congratulating several of my colleagues for winning an award, winning awards uh, some for some of their academic papers, uh, one of the responses to my post was the star that Nazi Germany forced, was a picture of the star that Nazi Germany forced Jews to wear uh, on their clothes. So, and these things, these are just snippets. For me, I I get tastes of this. It's hard to imagine how someone can function every day in knowing that this is going to happen to them every day and the fear and anxiety that can result. And it's, it's, you don't, you, I guess, you, you. I don't know if you don't think they're out there, but it never. You, you never really think, give it much thought until you you encounter them. And you know, I once was bombarded with um, emails from a, a white supremacist group, <laughs> and um, which what to one of them I responded, "I'm sorry, did I ruffle your nice white sheets?" But um, <laughs> that you know. It, it, you find it's out there, and if that's the, the internet is is a great thing. It, it's allowed a you know great debate and much speech, but it is all and it has allowed disparate people to come to organize and come together, and that means disparate people, you know, people who uh, are loners who um, can gather for good, or people you know who have fringe views who can gather for bad. That's true. I'll take it one step further uh, and make two points. One, it's not just that people aren't aware that this thing is happening. The problem, the, the, the lack of awareness is not just because people haven't experienced it, but also because there is a norm still associated with the Internet as something other than real. That, oh, it's just words or it's just words online. You can just turn off your... Facebook account, or you don't have to use Twitter, or it's just once you leave, once you turn off your computer and go about your day, everything's going to be fine. Um, my colleague, a wonderful colleague of mine at the University of Miami Law School, named Marianne Franks, wrote uh, an article on the show. Yeah. Oh, wonderful! 
Um, she wrote an article several years ago that discussed, discussed this concept, which she called cyberspace idealism, this idea that people think that whatever happens online is not real. They're not real harm. So right. given this pervasive norm, people think cyber harassment doesn't just not, it doesn't just not exist. Even if it does, it's not super serious. In addition, what makes it harder for people to recognize how serious it is is this is they fa- a failure to recognize these differences about online content that you're highlighting here? Um, online content is it, it makes the internet makes hate and harassment uh, fast, faster, cheaper, and more permanent than it is in real life and what I in physical world. What I mean right. by that is, if you want to harass someone, if you want to get a group together to harass someone in the physical world. It takes time and opportunity costs, and you have to get a posse together, and you have to go stalk someone, which has its own cost. It's super easy to gather under a hashtag on Gamergate online to terrorize someone, and then to dox them, and then to find their, uh, find their address. It's also uh, fast. These things permeate and penetrate the Internet super quick. And finally, it's permanent in that... If, image, if, say, an image of non-consensual pornography, a graphic image of you is up there and it's downloaded and uploaded and screenshotted, it is going to come up first on, the li- on, your Google ser- on a Google search if someone searches your name, and right. it's always going to do that. So future employers, future boyfriends and girlfriends, future uh, bosses and future academic partners, they're all going to see this, and it's going to follow you around like a scarlet letter for the rest of your life. That's true. And and so one question then is what do we do? And I there know are, you you have actually advocated um, you know, there are some who believe that one of the most inviolate provisions you know, regulating the internet is section 230 of the Communications Decency Act which right. provides immunity to websites for um, the debate that happens on their sites, that mm-hmm. the whole idea is we want to foster robust debate and we don't want to force um, website operators and you know, chat room and other operators to have to um, get bogged down in regulating and monitoring the, what goes on their sites. And um, But you actually believe that you know, there should be liability in certain circumstances. There should be. I first of all, I I don't think, and many scholars feel. Marianne Franks, for example, agrees. Many others do that. Two thirty was never intended to provide such blanket across the board immunity. It was only interpreted as such by federal courts after the passage of the law. Um, it was never intended to provide to make sure that websites are never going to be responsible for anything. And there have only been several, a couple of cases that have brought, pulled back that immunity in certain narrow circumstances. So that's the first point. I don't think it was ever intended to be so as broad as it is now. Second thing is there are websites out there that are not just passive hosts of someone else's content that they never do anything about. There's a, there are websites that induce uh, and, and encourage uh, individuals to post harassing content. Uh, the dirty is a perfect example. Other websites that are the that provide the space, that encourage, that have other examples of harassment on there, that and, and other websites that don't do anything about it, that 
that will will remain willfully blind to the conduct that's happening on their platform. Sure, not every website needs to be held liable to for needs to deal with frivolous lawsuits, but we're not talking about frivolous lawsuits here. We're talking about websites that are the most dangerous and terrible offenders who encourage people to use their platforms to harass others. So there has to be some limited ex exceptions to 230 immunity that allow victims to seek redress for co online content that is so far away from what from innovative content or far away from what the first amendment was meant to protect and you know there have been discussions about that and and, and they never get very far um, because basically you're saying you know the the 230 advocates say you're censoring the internet and um, so that becomes you know, how, how, that's a tough argument to respond to, even you're, if it is an overstatement. You're absolutely right. And uh, in addition to the legal argument, the, the, the institutions that are lined up against amending 230 immunity, we have all of Silicon Valley, for example, and yes. all of our tech companies that are not interested in changing, in, in changing the law. So it's going to be hard to pass a law that changes or repeal Section 230, but that doesn't mean that judges and lawyers uh, cannot, shouldn't try to find a better interpretation or to expand the exceptions to immunity uh, through legal advocacy. You know, I, I gave a talk once at Georgetown, and I was struck by the the, the differences in situations and kind of similar to what you you were saying earlier if i if georgetown's a big basketball school and the, the coach is um coach thompson and i said so if i went to coach thompson's house and spray painted on his garage offensive things about him um whatever it might be that would be seen by people in his general neighborhood, maybe a little bit in the newspaper to the extent that, you know, the local, you know, Washington Post or whoever picked it up and ran the story. Um, but at most, you know, a very few people would even see it. But ironically, that, that would, since I'm doing it to his property, that would be a, a criminal offense. Right. But if I put the same stuff online and said awful things about him, accused him of, you know, whatever, you know, crimes that are the most shameful today, um, that would be damaging his most valuable property, his reputation. But, but there would be no criminal sanction for what I did. Well, it would also be hard to, uh, it would be difficult to also find civil, also successfully file a civil suit because unless the, conduct rises to the level of extremely offensive and it invaded his privacy or was an intrusion upon his seclusion or something to use tort law. But I think there, I, I think that we should also take a step back. There's a big difference, a qualitative difference between, between spray painting or between calling someone a, uh, a terrible word, whether it's a, um, whether it's a slur for a Jew or a slur for an, a person of color, right. there's a big difference between, say, spray painting that on someone's house um, and, or even putting it online, uh, you know, especially among adults, and 
as opposed to engaging in a repeated course of conduct or doxing someone or posting images of harassment, images, uh, intimate images of someone else without their consent in such a way that puts someone in fear of their safety, whether it be emotional harm and then physical harm. So when you talk about cyber harassment, sometimes this discussion from the other side gets wrapped up in just hate, people who hate one another and they right. do stuff about it. But it would be wrong to say that the same type of law applies. You, we appreciate in this country that there is a certain amount of free speech that we tolerate as a, as, a, as a cost of having a free society where censorship does not exist or shouldn't exist. But we do not accept or should not accept that the law should be used as a shield for people to target other private persons in a pattern of conduct that puts them in danger of emotional <clears throat> and personal physical harm. So I think there's a very big difference between spray painting a swastika on my garage door and harassing me and doxing me and, uh, and engaging in a pattern of conduct that uh, puts me in severe emotional distress. But let's talk about that second. You know, ironically, I would only be prosecuted for the first if I did it. Now, the second, let's say it wasn't as, I wasn't putting you in fear of your harm, in fear of harm, or it didn't rise to, because it, it, severe emotional distress in legal terms isn't what people think of in, in normal terms. It, it right. has to be severe. <laughs> it has right. to have a, almost a physical manifestation. So right. you can be and devastated, you can be heartbroken, whatever, but the, the court's that's not sufficient in most cases. And I've seen instances where you know, basically there are people who you know, have nothing better to do. And all day long, they're just trolling, harassing people, saying awful things to them, making them very upset, you know, making them less efficient. You know, mm -hmm. they're, 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 no, they're not contributing to society. It's hurting their business. They're not performing as well as they would in society. Um, and they're doing this all to a whole bunch of people. And so it doesn't rise to the level that you would get a restraining order. And it may not even be, and if you could go for, um, you could sue for defamation, but the problem there lies is that we have, what are the damages? And how, if someone damages a hundred people a little, he will never be sued because no one has an incentive to sue. And I actually got into the debate about this with a reporter um, who said, well, you know, people always can sue for defamation, you know, free, free speech. And I said, that's a gold card argument. You know, if you have a gold card, yeah, you can, you can afford a lawyer. You can sue for defamation. But if you don't, you just sit there and take it every single day. And I'll, um, so I'll, I'll go you one step further. What happens if the only people that you have to sue that are you're eligible to sue are the actual uh, cyber harassers who are more often than not judgment proof. These right. are just your average ordinary Joes who and were, who are not always hacking into the cloud to get Jennifer Lawrence's and Kate Upton's photos. They are attacking other individuals who not only do not have their gold card, but they're not going to get anything out of a of a cyber harasser, especially in a world where you are not allowed to sue the websites, the deep pockets that actually are allowing this, thing, the, these, this harassment to happen. But you're right. You hit on a larger point here 
that essentially says this. There, are, there is a patchwork of laws and claims out there that do exist that we should be able to apply to many cases of cyber harassment. But there are certainly not all. And the claims that do exist and the laws that do exist, there are extraordinary barriers to real people's success. There may not be as many barriers to Jennifer Lawrence's success because she has great lawyers and all of the tools and all of the resources that could be brought to bear. But we make it so hard by the nature of the laws and claims that are out there for victims to seek redress, so much to the point, so much so that many victims think, why even bother? It's just going to bring me more harassment and there is no, nothing is going to happen to the perpetrator in the end. So why even start? Let me just shut off my computer. And the result of that, however, is as Danielle Citron, a colleague of ours and a leader in our field at the University of Maryland Law School has said in her book, um, Hate, Hate Crimes in Cyberspace, and in several of, her, several of her other articles, she said that as a result of this, cyber harassment then is not just a gendered phenomenon because it attacks women. It's not just a sexualized phenomenon, sexual, sexualized phenomenon because it turns women into sexual objects in many cases and harasses them for that. But it results in the silencing of women from the internet. So we lose the what may be dissident or new or contributing voices, just like you say, in even while those people who are advocating for the harassers, for the free speech rights of harassers, are saying that you can't do anything about it because of free speech. But in so doing, we silence the speech of victims who more, much more often than not tend to be mar members of marginalized groups. That's a very important point. We have to take a moment break and we come back. We're going to wrap up with Ari and um, find out what, what is the latest and greatest and where we can get more information on the, the Tyler Comensi Institute and its clinic. Um, we'll be back after these messages. You're listening to Cyberlawn Business Report. Only on Cranberry Radio. Stay tuned for more of the Cyball and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, seen other SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. 
top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Here is Bennett Kelly. Quick shout-out before we get back to our program. Um, Happy birthday to Gabby Giffords, um, the former congressman from Arizona who has recovered miraculously from her gunshot wound and has been a a great advocate for sensible gun laws. Happy birthday there. Um, in addition, just an update on what happened in California, the Senate race, um, as we discussed on our show two weeks ago, um, and as expected, um, um, Attorney General Kamala Harris has, came in first and Congresswoman Larissa Sanchez came in second. Um, we may try to get them, see if they will appear either in a debate or in separate appearances on the show. But Kamala Harris has been a very big advocate on dealing with the issue of, of harassment and has tried to rebrand revenge porn as um, cyber exploitation, you know, because she said it's not it's not revenge. It's not like these people deserved anything. So we, why we call it revenge? And it's not porn. It's, you know, it wasn't taken with that intent. So, um, so congratulations to both of them, and hopefully we'll be able to have them on the program. So, Ari, um, one thing I thought would be appropriate to deal with at least serial harassers or at least maybe deal with what is known as per se defamation. Um, if, you, if you want the legal system to address these people, you have to incentivize people to sue. And right now, I mean, there's nothing to incentivize them because there's no statutory damages and you may or may not get attorney's fees. And so I think at a minimum, where you have uh, a repeat offender or a a serial harasser, uh, I think you should allow for statutory damages and and attorney's fees to at least create that incentive. I think that's an inspired idea. Uh, We do that, as you well know, in other areas of the law, particularly with attorney's fees, the principle in, in copyright and patent law pretty well understood that allows people, gives people the power and the faith, the confidence to be able, if, you know, if they know they're in the right, they're going to, they're not going to lose money out of the whole proposition. Um, I think it would be, the place to start for something like that would be in the states. Uh, you just mentioned how Kamala Harris, uh, now the AG in California and hopefully soon to be senator from California, has gone to great lengths to uh, not just rebrand revenge porn as cyber exploitation, but has gone over and above in her advocacy and and work to protect privacy, data personal data privacy, as well as victims of cyber harassment. And she's a perfect example of why activity in some of the states, particularly in blue states, would be a perfect avenue for passing legislation that would ha- that would include something like that that would ensure that victims can get many money back that they paid for attorney's fees and also have a certain amount of statutory damages. Because as, as again, as you well know, as you mentioned earlier, this is, in these cases, it's hard to prove 
it's always hard to prove damage. It's always especially right. hard to prove damage in these emotional harm cases. And it's especially hard to prove damage in cases where a young woman who's a victim of cyber cyber harassment is standing before a 75-year-old white male judge who has never even heard of this before and is unlikely to have experienced something like this. And so, you raised an important point. I actually had a judge in a restraining order case who's, you know, and in and, and many areas, you know, restraining orders are done by family law courts. You know, the, the judges primarily deal with family law and domestic violence issues. And when you, you come in with an internet type case, some judges just don't like it. Um, I have one judge who's, who just took me into chambers and said, you know, I do, do, I do family and domestic violence cases. I don't do internet cases. So what if I what if I said to you I'm not going to admit that evidence? What are you going to What do you have then? Don't you think it might make sense to settle with the defendant now? Mm. And I, I had another judge who, you know, just a simple ex parte motion to do discovery in a Doe case. Um, he kept me waiting three and a half hours, and while he figured out what to do, and, and then um, said, you know, I'm going to reassign this because. We usually handle personal injury cases in this court, and you know we like to do those quick and done. And this isn't any of those things. Right? It's and, remarkable. And so, I'm sorry. You know, I'm just saying. It's, so, it, uh, seemingly intelligent, you know, lawyers and judges um, seem ill-equipped to do this. And even police. I've had police tell clients, "Oh, we just don't do cyber." Right. Now That's imagine. An option. <laughs> <laughs> now imagine that you are a victim and yeah. who goes to law enforcement and says all this is happening and they all their response is, well, just turn off your computer. Yeah. Um, and it's always remarkable to me when a judge or a lawyer says, well, I don't do Internet stuff or I don't do Internet cases. Every area of law is, at least in part, a quote-unquote Internet case right. in the sense that there are, there are evidence issues dealing with it. There, Evidence that's on the internet. There's there's communications that are on the internet. There's harm that's on the internet, and to and to dismiss that is not just it's not just silly. It also minimizes the uh, harms that people do experience online. Luckily, I think that may be a generational shift. The more you know, the more law students that take classes called privacy law, internet law, and technology, and and, and so forth. The, and as people in my generation uh, become, as we grow older and become leaders in, in the legal world, pe- we, are, we are the ones that have more facility. We're the first generation that grew up with technology, and especially even more, even although less so than the current generation of students. Um, hopefully, that will be that will be something that generations will be able to, and next generation will be able to change. But it just shows you how far we have to go. Yes. And I had a client, you know, when the cops told her, we just don't do that type of stuff. She said, what should I do? And I said, vote with your feet. You know, go, you know, that's maybe that's probably not where you want to live then. if They're not going to protect you. But we only have a few minutes left, Ari. Um, I'd like to give you an opportunity to tell people where they can find information about you, what websites to go to, and if you have any events you want them to be aware of. Well, th- uh, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. This was a wonderful discussion. Um, if anyone is interested in contacting us, uh, whether they're a victim of cyber harassment 
or knows someone who is or wants to learn more, the email address to contact us is cybersafety at nyls.edu, and I'll spell that out. That's C-Y-B-E-R-S-A-F-E-T-Y, cybersafety, all one word, at N as in Nancy, Y as in uh, York, uh, L as in law, and school S as in school, newyorklawschool.edu. Um, we also are about to launch our website, uh, so I'll hold off on the I'll hold off on the URL for now uh, until we have our big launch and our big party for that. So um, any more information you can also find on our Facebook page. The Tyler Clementi Institute for Cyber Safety is on Facebook, and of course at the New York Law School uh, website. So if anyone needs any information, please reach out. We're just getting started. So we hope to scale this program very soon. Well, thank you very much for joining us again. As I talked to you before, I'm really thrilled about what you're doing. I think it's a great first step, and hopefully other schools will will follow suit. And I think you've been doing a great job in this space. And um, I forgot to mention that you were recently named a rising star by New York um, Law Journal. So congratulations. Thank you and, very much. Um, but thanks, thanks for having, coming on, and we'd love to have you back and, as the program progresses. Thank you. Anytime. Always a pleasure. Thank you. And so next week we'll have um, David Balto will return. He's the uh, antitrust lawyer. He's going to talk about the Google's problems in the EU uh, and then we're going to have um, Kristen Brown. Um, she was um, sick last week, wasn't able to join us. So she is going to come back and talk about trolls on the following week, on the 22nd and the 29th. We just booked Charlie Mitchell, author of Hack, the inside story of America's struggle to secure cyberspace. And this is Bennett Kelly I'm signing off from the Internet Law Center here in downtown Santa Monica. Check us out on the web at internetlawcenter.net. And um, sign up for our website. Um, excuse me, sign up for our newsletter on our website, um, Cyber Report. We're just nominated for another LA Press Club Award. And um, check out Cyber Law and Business Report. Uh, our, follow us on Twitter. We're at Cyber Law Radio. And our blog is cyberlawradio.wordpress. And follow, our, follow the show notes and let us know any comments you have on Twitter. But until then, we will see you next week here on another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report. Quarters adjourned. Until then, have a great week. Congratulations again, Hillary. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.